Smuggling Hope, Episode 13, The State of Affairs. Nowadays, people divorce or cheat not because they're unhappy, but because they could be happier. Esther Peril. Now, of all the things have, that have really uh, traumatized me in doing uh, couples work, therapy in general, um, in all the years that I've done it, the thing that has been most upsetting to me and has given me the most uh, difficulty is being exposed to um, you know, the culture of affairs and infidelities. Um, that, in, in part, I think has and carries with it a large degree of scandal. And people ask me, well, you know, who's having these affairs? Who's, who's getting involved with infidelities? And, and the truth is, is that that's hard for us to figure out, in part because people are not honest. People are not honest when they're having affairs. Um, and also, people don't always have an agreed upon understanding of what cheating is in the relationships, right? You know, there are people that are in open relationships. There are people that are on online dating services or the, these these different, uh, you know, Snapchats. And is it pictures? Is it communication? Is it actual physical, uh, you know, uh, relationship? Is it all types? And so there's a lot of confusion, uh, you know, when we try to get statistics about affairs. And I want you to think that at the core of this all has to do with uh, an understanding and identity of what it is that sex is for and what is a, an actual committed marriage about. Because we live in a world that has removed the, the, the constrainers, the, the, the boundaries that used to keep us together as a society and as a community. Namely, like, you know, the, the, the realities of, of tradition, the realities of, uh, of religious practice and moral uh, understanding and law. Now those things have all been thrown by the wayside. There is no fault divorce pretty much everywhere. You can divorce somebody, you know, for absolutely no reason, just because you don't want to be with them. Um, and people are obsessed with being happier. They, they, they see every day they are being advertised by our consumeristic society to leave their post, to leave their relationship, that something else better awaits them and that their life is all about happiness, happiness. But the truth is, is that oftentimes what we're being seduced by and being convinced is that our selfishness is okay. But there is no relationship that can succeed with selfishness. And unfortunately, uh, you know, people of faith, as you, as you try to live your faith, you find that your selfishness has to go away because you're pledging yourself to do what, what God would have done uh, in, the, in the sacrificial love that you have for your spouse. And so oftentimes I think people are, have been sold a bad bag of goods by their world and, you know, uh, and we need to kind of wake up to this. It's important that people understand that pretty much all forms of marketing all targeted forms of technology and dating programs and dating sites, for the most part, I'm not going to say that all, but 95% of them are designed to make you perpetually unhappy, perpetually desiring more, so that you do not find fulfillment in a relationship, so that you do not grow up and learn how to be sacrificial. Instead, you know, just to be thirsty and hungry for more lust, as they say, like lust is like a thirsty man craving salt. And these people on these dating programs and bombarded with all of this marketing and media and people communicating to you that you should be happier and that you should just abandon your relationship because, well, you deserve better. Well, 
this whole idea, especially in the West, of this individuality, this whole idea that you are, you know, so important and you are, and in part that's true, you are important, but happiness cannot be the key here. Happiness cannot be what we're pursuing because it's not sustainable. You cannot be happy all the time. I can't be happy all the time. That, that's not necessarily like reality. So what we have going into marriages is we have people that were never formed with an understanding of why, why even get married. What's the point of marriage? And because they have no understanding of what marriage is for, they can barely, I mean, they can barely make it a year or two in their marriages. And, and cheating is affairs and all these things, these infidelities, they are seen as almost, uh, you know, it, it, a, just a permissible reality. That that's just what people do. That's just what people do. Men cheat or women cheat or people should just be expecting that your partner should, you know, um, you know, leave you for somebody else or cheat on you or it's acceptable. It's okay. It's weird. The old, uh, the old norm was that it was expected that you would be with your spouse in good times and bad and sickness and in health. But now what the expectation is, is that the spouse is just going to, you know, they're eventually going to screw around on you. You should anticipate it. And so again, how can you relax? How can you enjoy a relationship, whether it's emotional, physical, and it should be at the highest point, spiritual? How can we access that type of love when we're constantly being told lies by our culture? So we need to kind of stop with the lies first if we want to stop the affairs. So in my my show today, I'm going to talk a little bit about like why affairs happen, how you can prevent them, and then I'm going to talk about how you can recover from in, in the process of recovering from an affair, if if you or anyone you know has gone through it, at least as objectively as I can, like give you a breakdown. You know, obviously we could go a mile deep with all of these concepts, but you know, everyone's attention span is limited, right? Uh, as you listen to me, as you drive around, dropping your kids off at soccer or baseball. So to start off, one of the big things I want you to realize is, and, and Freud said this many years ago, he said that if the death instinct you know, uh, you know, is, is something that we wrestle with, right? This fear of death. If we're bombarded with this fear of death and it starts to take over, what's going to be there to combat it? It's going to be the life instinct. The life instinct starts to arise in us in an uncontrollable, destructive way um, to meet and to, and to kind of almost hold off the death instinct. And the, and the life instinct is known as eros or like a passion, right? Unruly passion. And you find that in our world, it is a culture of death. We have people we've thrown away, people we've broken them into pieces. We look at men as paychecks and women as body parts. We do not actually see people anymore as living beings with souls. We see them as objects to be used and discarded on all levels, whether it's an unborn child and an embryo, whether it's an 80-year-old person in the hospital with dementia. We just can get rid of them as soon as they no longer make us feel happy because you're not making me happy. I'm not happy about the pregnancy test. I'm not happy that, you know, grandpa, you know, it, it can't remember who I am and he needs help. I'm not happy. He's not helping me be happy. So the world offers us this constant discard of, of our uh, humanity, right? We just keep getting rid of our humanity. Um, and so infidelity at its core is always a sign that something is dying, dying in the individual right? I'll say that again. Infidelity is almost always a sign that something is dying in the individual. 
in all the cases of infidelity that I've been exposed to and the ones that I've, you know, experienced clinically over the course of my time is almost always, you know, co-occurring with a low level of depression or grief. You know, the person at some point has been cut off from who they wanted to be as an individual. So take, for instance, you know, I give you an imaginary situation you know, that there was a, a woman and that woman had three kids and she made her children her God and she tried to please her husband and her husband was always, you know, working or golfing or traveling, very busy, successful in the eyes of the world. And she found herself trying to take the house and keep the house together and keeping up with her career and keeping up with all of her three kids. But she lost sight of who she is. She got cut off from the person that she wanted to be. And so she finds interest in some gentleman at work or somebody through a, you know, a social media platform that likes her picture. And, and just these little conversations start to promote in people this idea that they could almost, uh, that they should be happier, that there's something missing. But before that even gets presented or before that person starts to, you know, um, you know, move towards that temptation, so to speak, they've already been cut off from who they want to be as a person. They've been cut off from moving towards the man or woman that they wanted to be. And so their confidence has been greatly diminished. So whether that was because they were going through a grief process, whether that was because they were going and taking care of something with, you know, uh, you know, uh, a sick child, you know, whatever the case is, it is important for us to know that these are experiences that can happen to anybody at any time. So far as you cut the person off from that path of who they wanted to be, and now that person is going to, uh, you know, um, you know, be starved for attention and starved for that connection to themselves again. So in like a real succinct way, as somebody's dying, whether they knew it or not, now they try to almost steal life from other people or they try to kind of get these experiences to generate life. And life becomes about flittering around from happiness to happiness. And yet there is no center of the wheel. And what I mean by the center of the wheel, I mean that if you think about like one of those, uh, like a wheel, it has spokes and in the center, there is a central hub, you know, and then there's a linchpin that holds everything together, literally mechanically. And so for us in our life, we have to be chastened. We have to be connected to a center point. And that point cannot be our happiness because happiness is constantly fleeting. And so many, many people just, you know, we, as we, we see people that have really um, built their life around, uh, you know, achievement um, or the achievement of happiness specifically, and I'll go more into this as I talk about habits on this podcast, people that get into this fixation on, on, on these sensations of, of uh, achieving happiness and experiencing these emotional states, they're oftentimes also thrown into depressions and anxieties because they, they can't control these states and, and they're not stable. They're not stable states. And so we, we really, you know, as we think about a marriage or a committed relationship, we need to have a system that upholds it. And we have a system to, that upholds it, although many of us don't know what that is or we've been very poorly formed or we, you know, never were given the education about it. But we need to have a a, a, a center point to the wheel in our life so that we're not just going off and chasing our passion into whatever, because we'll always be looking for another person, another thing. And, and if our happiness is our driving force, we will be forever tortured and we won't grow up. 
I mean, look at Peter Pan. That's a great example of what happens when you don't grow up because you just, you don't want to surrender and sacrifice. Hi, it's Dan. I hope you're enjoying today's show. If you want to take your marriage to the next level, download a copy of my free ebook, Love Finds a Way. In it, you'll find six key principles to start strengthening your marriage. Just click the link in the episode description. Share it with others. Because Catholic marriages should be lighthouses in the dark times we live in. Now back to the show. So if we have a center point, that center point really means that that we have to create and and you know and, and form relationships for the center point of of what is going to please God. Now it's kind of weird, right? People will say like I've got to be true to myself. But but I would say that you really need to find something that's better than yourself to be true to. And and that's why God gives us his example in the person of Jesus Christ and the sacrificial love that he gave for all of us. And so yes, when I love my wife, I have to try to move cooperate with God's grace through developing behaviors and systems of life and behavior that cooperate with God's grace so that I can be more sacrificial, so that I can try to move into a sacrificial, uh, you know, love for my wife or, you know, or whoever, whoever your spouse may be, because that gives you fulfillment and takes you to the heights of intimacy. Otherwise, what we end up with is we end up with, you know, very casual experiences and casual marriages. And that is it, right? Casual sex and casual marriages that end usually within two years now. I think the average rate of divorce is about two, two and a half years, you know, for many of these, uh, you know, people that are are, are poorly, uh, poorly uh, vetted or understand relationships. And many of them, prior to even getting married, they cohabitate, which is another issue right? Co- cohabitation conditions you, trains you not to be in a committed relationship. Cohabitation will train you literally to be afraid of commitment because it's a secret evaluation. You're test driving a car. Sometimes people are test driving a car for years. Well, when are we going to get married? Some point. Well, how will we know? I don't know. And so it's an anxious relationship. And, and, and those experiences, sometimes they last you know, uh, the whole length of the relationship and they, they, people go and they get married and it follows them into it. But going back to this whole idea of, of, uh, affairs is we need to have a center point that is not built on happiness. We want to make sure that we are focused and, and really orientated on doing something, you know, in, in, in moving towards a higher sense of self, uh, a higher person, you know, a better person holding ourselves to a higher ideal, right? And so we, we go before God in our community and we say we're going to be married to this person and, you know, till death do us part, which creates psychological freedom and, and safety. Um, and, and for people that are listening to this, believe it or not, people that are in committed marriages have the highest rate of fulfillment um, in their sexual relationship. So all these people who are telling you you should have multiple partners People who have multiple partners, the, the, their, their experience of sexual fulfillment continues to deteriorate, right? So the more sexual partners you have in your life psychologically, if you don't believe anything, you know, uh, you know you're know, you like, oh, the world tells us which I need to have experience. I have to. No, what will happen is the more sexual experiences you have, the more you will diffuse, you will lose the intensity of that, that relationship with a person that you would have a lifetime commitment with. 
And that's why so many people then become addicted to the next person because they want the feeling because they can't get the fulfillment. We want fulfillment. We don't want feelings. Feelings fade. You know, feelings change. Consequences don't. So at the center, you need to think about the man or the woman that you want to be. Who do I want to become? And you need to be very clear about that. You should have been clear about that before you got married. And many of us have not been, many of us have not thought about that. I know that I did not really clearly think about that, but we get jarred awake to that. That idea that we need to be very clear about who do I want to be? Who do I want to be as a father, as a husband? Who do I want to be as a, a wife and mother, as, as the person I want to be? And am I on track with that person? Because if I'm not on track with that person, I'm already dying and now I'm at risk to have some type of fixation with another person or some kind of weird dubious uh, behavior, you know, uh, where you're, t- you're stealing life, you're, you're, you're doing weird stuff and taking away from your spouse in that, in that marriage, or, you know, in that committed relationship. So you really want to position yourself back. Who do I want to become? Make sure you go into marriage and, and you or you repurpose yourself, re- realign yourself with that center of who do I want to be, especially in, play, in in front of God, right? I always say it's the man in the stained glass window. The person, you know, if, you, if you're a Catholic person, you're listening to this, think about the people, the saints in the stained glass windows. That's who we have to have a clarity over because you have to move towards that person because there is no... Uh, you know, there, there is no, uh, you know, perf- perfect satisfaction through some relationship that somehow my spouse is going to entertain me, that my spouse by herself is supposed to just fulfill me. No, it's the emptying of myself, the sacrificial gift of myself in relationship with God that will give me fulfillment and, and mutual surrender of both partners in the marriage. Without that, you know, then, then it's just more selfishness. It's me, you know, not pursuing my wife or her not being open to me. And now you've got problems again. And again, the world continues to make people not think about who they want to be. It keeps making them think that they should be happier and comparing themselves with other people, other people that for the most part are deceptive and lying. They're all selling you something, but they're not selling you fulfillment or peace. They're selling you something else entirely. Now from the center comes your path of, of chastening and discipline. So, I mean, the word chastity really means the ability to cultivate all of your powers under one bridle, really. So think about like that we we have to control ourselves. We have to gain control over all of our being, not just sexual power, but our power of our mind, our speech, our strength. We need to chasten ourselves you know, with that discipline. But uh, without, without knowing who we are and who we want, we want to be at the end of our life, we don't know how to start forming these these systems of discipline that will keep us confident and will keep us on track in our marriages, giving us confidence to be a great gift of self. Instead, if we don't have that, we're going to have a lot of fear and a lot of worry, and that worry and that fear will create lots of chinks in the armor where temptation will come in and will disorder us. So we need to be on the track to cultivate greater discipline. And the, the discipline, though, is, is secondary after we come to the awareness of who we want to be, because that identity is a core, uh, a core function. And that is, again, you'll see this all over the place, is many people do not know who they are. I mean, that is, that is the movement in our time right now to, to destroy people's understanding of their identity at the most basic levels because they're easiest to be manipulated. You're a much better consumer if you don't know who you are. You're much better 
uh, you know, manipulated in any way I want you to be if you don't know who you are. You'll be whatever I want you to be. And, and that is uh, dangerous. So be, be clear about who you want to be. And then you come up with the path of how to do that. So as a man, as a woman, where do I need discipline? Do I need discipline in my, my physical life? Do I need to make sure that I'm, you know, exercising or going for walks? Do I need to increase my discipline in the areas of, um, you know, my spiritual life? But the discipline is, is a requirement because we cannot offer ourselves to our spouse effectively. And again, the less, the less discipline that you have, you know, in the areas that you need it, you're going to see that you, you start to steal these attentions. You start to steal um, these affections from other places, whether it's because of your boredom, whether it's because of your sadness, whether it's because of your grief or a combination of all. Right. And again, there's not just one way for people to become involved in affairs. Remember, the, the strength of your discipline will actually give you the most stable emotional regulation, meaning that the more that you cultivate discipline, the more that your levels of confidence and, you know, even the ability to experience joy or happiness, those things go up because you are now with those systems of discipline in place more capable of the achievements that you do want, whether it's at work, in the, in the gym, um, you know, in your spiritual life, as a parent, as a, as, as a friend and partner to your spouse, you can do that. You can show up. And so th- that'll continue to bulk up your confidence and your happiness. But it's, we oftentimes reverse it. Now, one of the things you're going to hear periodically, and I hear it all the time, and people will use this as grounds for divorce, or they'll say this is why they cheated, was, well, I love you, but I'm just not in love with you. And what that really means And what I've come to really understand that is that people, for the most part, what they're doing is they've broken away from the person they wanted to be, and they're no longer in love with themselves. And so instead of saying that they've, instead of being responsible for that, they have forced that upon their spouse. And and, and a weird, you know, uh, side effect of that is the selfishness just has a natural way of eking out. Right. But the, it's, it's, it's a double edged sword because both your partner and you lose because you're not going to be anywhere closer to be fulfilled. You can get married this, you know, one, two or three times. You can frequent brothels and places of prostitution and whatever else you want to do. But you're not going to be fulfilled because you, in order to be fulfilled, you have to start to create the ability for you to love like God. If you are not actively trying to love like God, your marriage will not be what you want it to be. And your spouse will frustrate you. But remember, like your spouse is the place where you are to empty yourself and, you know, to receive the love from your spouse, but not to be entertained by them. They're not here to please you. You know, there's no vow that says, I'm going to please my husband. I'm going to please my, my wife. It is that you die for one another. It's mutual death so that you both resurrect in the life of Christ. And that's what we need to see. And that's what we will see in people's marriages. Even marriages have been affected by these things because people are waking up to the fact that obviously God, God knows that we're all more than our mistakes. And affairs are actually not the end of the world. Uh, you know, they can be for people, but that doesn't mean that they have to be. So one of the things, you know, that I, I think that a lot of people forget if you are uh, you know, a person of faith, if you were formed well, you understand the boundaries of, of marriage and of sexual intimacy and of relational intimacy and what we would deem sin, 
meaning that we've we're you know we're we're screwing up. But the world outside of 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 faith and a relationship with Christ or you know, the order that the church prov- provides through the, the sacred tradition, people have been left now in this era since they've removed all of the the stops and all of the boundaries. They now are left with having to come up with their own tactics. They have to come up with their own set of boundaries, and and frankly, people just can't do it, and so everything continues to fall into chaos. Or what they're dis- what they're discovering, they're rediscovering, I guess, the truths of the faith. If you are though trying to maintain your relationship and and avoid you know, these pitfalls, one of the great things that also helps to strengthen your relationship is to really have a clear vision for your marriage in terms of what are your goals and dreams. And and those are wonderful things. But then the second component of that is there's nothing wrong with having goals, but the goals have to be secondary to the system. So let's say, for instance, like, you know, one of my goals might be that I want to have a very, um, a positive relationship with my children and my wife. Well, that means I have to come up with a system, you know, with my wife of how to have that type of relationship. So how do we operate at home? Do we take time as a family? Do we pray together? Do we eat together? Do we vacation together? Do we do we have a night of the week where we have a game night? Do we have a night of the week where it's expected that we all try to, to watch a movie together? You know, what are the systems that will support that goal? Because otherwise, if we do not, if we put the the, the goal before the system, right? Uh, if we put the goal before the system, we, we end up not enjoying the ride, so to speak. It's important that you enjoy your life and that you're not just waiting for things to happen. You know, it's something that my wife taught me a long time ago. You know, you don't want to live your life in such a way that you're waiting for things to happen. But you, those things that you do want, they're wonderful. But now you have to think about, well, what is the, the behaviors and the system of, of behaviors that, you, that will support you on that track? And as you do that and you and your spouse partner along the way with that, it gives you a great assessment of both confidence and dialogue because you know where each other are. And because you're pursuing the same thing together, your uh, desire to be close and to be intimate on multiple levels increases because communication is only as good as goals are understood. And the depth of communication um, in many ways, uh, you know, continues to go up and people start to be able to reveal more and more over the years of their marriage, their legitimate needs. Remember, like a lot of times, like you know, people forget this, but sex is the highest form of communication, right? And so, if we cannot communicate our needs or what we desire, you know, in terms of, you know, um, you know, the choices of food or destinations for vacation or how to parent kids, if we can't talk about these things. We aren't going to be having as much fulfillment or playfulness, you know, in, in the in the areas of our our romantic relationship with our spouse, and 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 again, if we cannot be honest with our spouse, then those weird the, the what what happens is is that we start to be deceptive, in the sense that we just don't talk to our spouse. But those desires to express ourselves, those desires for our our legitimate needs to be met, they're still there, and then they end up going in weird weird ways. And then instead of us being chastened and organized and focused, we get scattered in those pieces of ourselves go places. You know, years ago, I talked to a colleague of mine who's now passed away. And I asked her, I said, she was much older than myself. And she, I had said, uh, you know, why is it that you think people cheat? And I was very young and naive to the world. Maybe I was in my early twenties. And she goes, 
She goes, well, well, Danny, you know, it's really scary business bringing all of yourself and bring all of yourself to one person. It's a lot easier just to scatter pieces of yourself around town. And she had a lot of fantastic knowledge of just organic knowledge of the human person and that fear, though. We don't want to be afraid. We want to bring all of ourselves to our, 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 our spouse, all of ourself, you know, wherever we are. That's the whole focus, right? Chastity. Bring all of your pieces together. Now, if, if for whatever reason those pieces have been scattered and an affair has taken place, um, I'm going to go now into like what we can do to kind of repair that. Have you ever wondered what the leading cause of divorce is? It's not addiction, infidelity, lack of intimacy, or incompatibility. It's actually criticism. Criticism underlies all the behaviors that lead to divorce. Criticism kills connection between married couples. If you want to learn ways to stop criticizing and start connecting with your spouse, check out heartsrenewed.org for dynamic exercises on how to shape new conversations with your spouse that will give you the kind of marriage you signed up for all from the comfort of your home. So in terms of uh, recovering from affairs, there are three, three big components, right? So whether that affair was an emotional affair, whether it was, uh, you know, it was something else that was physical, there are three main components, right? The first one is, is uh, you know, getting through the crisis, you know, creating meaning. And then the third component is, you know, creating a vision, envisioning together as a couple. So the first part is with this crisis, you know, crisis really has a lot to do with what's going to be possible, right? Depending on how you manage that. When the bomb goes off, your, uh, your state of relationship, your personal history, your belief systems about relationship, and even the way you view the past of your relationship, all of it gets affected. Your identity, right? Any traumas that you have, you know, everything that, because uh, all these, these memories and emotions are located in the same part of the brain. So just because it's one thing doesn't mean that 500 things aren't going to light up in the brain. So we don't really know. We don't know necessarily how a person is going to experience uh, an, an affair um, of any type. We, we, we really don't. Um, you know, the, it's not, it's not, uh, the, the response isn't going to be necessarily proportional to like the seriousness or the, the time of the affair, like how long it went on. Uh, you know, we got to take into account your, 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 your history, your beliefs, the boundaries that you've had and all that other stuff, you know? Um, and so one of the big things we want to do is like when, when the, when the, the crisis happens is it's important that, that people are able to create a, a, you know, a state of non-judgment so that people can experience what they're experiencing. Judgment will prolong the condition or worsen it. You know, wanting your spouse to stop asking you questions, wanting your spouse to stop thinking about it, wanting your spouse to stop crying, demanding and accusing and going, all that stuff. Judgment will, again, heighten the agitation of the mind. Uh, in many ways, our conscious mind cannot necessarily process these events effectively. Um, one of the things I encourage couples to do, or at least the people experiencing this that have been taking the brunt of this crisis, is really to do whatever you can to improve your sleep cycle as much as possible. Because, you know, to, to be able to manage a lot of this has to do with your unconscious mind and your unconscious mind's ability to, to really relax and integrate these experiences. You can't, you can't integrate them a lot of times in your waking state. It's too intense and too expansive. 
And so getting some sleep, not a bad thing. Doing other events and doing other experiences and trying to do them mindfully are also helpful if you can do them in a relaxed state. If you're the person who has has been, you know, the person, you know, that, that has on the receiving end of the affair, like you had discovered this, you know, well, again, like the sleep is a component, figuring out how to do things that, that relax you. Uh, you know, we call this repairing the expectation machine, but literally listing out things that you can control so that you can keep promises to yourself. Because at that point, you believing or trusting your spouse may be very, uh, very limited, right? Um, if you are the person who is was caught having the affair, so to speak, um, you know, or doing, you know, whatever it is that you were caught doing, you have to figure out how to do what is both loving and responsible uh, you know, because in, in many ways, you, whether it's at that moment or prior, you yourself will be traumatized by what you've done. Because again, most people don't think of themselves as the person who does these behaviors. And one of the things that's most traumatic to individuals is what they've done themselves, not what is done to them, but what they've actually participated with because it affects your identity. So again, with an affair in the crisis mode, we have two people who's, who essentially have been affected at the level of their identity. And so it's super important that we figure out how to, how to relax them, that you, if you are the receiving end of the affair, that you try to get that, uh, you know, you know, get sleep, um, make sure that you, you, you clear up the expectation machine, keep your promises to yourself, um, you know, uh, set whatever boundaries are appropriate so that the, your, your spouse, uh, the person that, that has, has created this hurt, cannot continue to hurt you because for them to continue to hurt you is not going to give you the ability to have clarity and know what to do next. It's also going to make it very hard, if not impossible, for you to see that person as who they are. Um, I encourage people to, to um, you know, obviously take time for prayer and to reflect if you're a person of faith. When you have the, you know, the energy and strength, it is helpful to find a person um, to, uh, you know, for, um, you know, to, uh, I'm sorry, not person, a priest to hear your confession, if nothing else, so that you can, you know, go to a place where, you know, that you, your business is kept safe. It's important that if these things are not publicly known, that you do not decide to share this with everybody. Um, once you share it with everybody, it will it will forever change the way people interact with you and your spouse. When you talk to people about an affair, um, it brings other people into it and scandalizes them, and they feel helpless. And their help may or may not be helpful. It's important that if you do decide to look for resources for support, whether it's counsel or a priest or you know a friend, that that is a person who has hope. If you are around people who have no hope or you start to talk to people who themselves are divorced or who have been cheated on and the, and the results were unfavorable, remember their belief system will quickly become your belief system and without you even knowing it or perceiving it, you will take on their mind because you're in a heightened state of vulnerability. So in a heightened state of vulnerability, if you know a friend that's going through this, make sure that you come at it from a place of non-judgment and hope. Not because, you know, that you like their spouse or you think it's okay, but because the best chance for people to uh, weather this storm and effectively move through it 
um, has a lot to do with the condition the person's in. All too often, many people are, I think, uh, in a state where they cannot offer hope. They feel like it's the end because of whatever. The truth is, is that people persevere through these experiences and people just like with cancer, I don't recommend getting cancer, but people can learn and be transformed through these events. Uh, It's not what I would encourage. I don't encourage people to have these experiences by any stretch, but I say that, you know, whatever suffering is permitted in our life by, you know, by, by happenstance or hand of God is an opportunity for us in many ways to be transformed more into him. Because remember, God's not interested in happiness as much as he's interested in us growing up and reflecting him. And, you know, that that can happen in any type of way. So I encourage you again, like if you are the, the receiving spouse in the crisis mode, you know, get that support, create those boundaries that are very clear so your spouse cannot continue to hurt um, you. Um, you know, you, you get support from people who have hope and are non-judgmental, um, preferably people that are, uh, you know, that, that have faith. Without that, there is no center point to come back to because then your God is yourself and your feeling and you may make um, t- horrible decisions that are uh, irretrievable and will follow you the rest of your life from that point on. Um, you know, because these things have a way of escalating very quickly. Um, so um, if you're the person who's obviously been, uh, you know, the the one who delivered this blow, you know, again, make promises and keep them so your spouse sees you as a person who is trying to keep their, their uh, you know, uh, their promises. Make sure that you think about the person that you want to become so that you can get on track with that person so that your confidence can be rebuilt because, you know, chances are better than not that you have not been consistent with who you wanted to be for many years, you know, and you are way off track. Uh, If you need to seek counsel yourself, seek it out, go to confession. If you're a Catholic person that is ideal for you, go to confession, you know, so that this doesn't stick with you because, um, you know, there, you know, we do not, you, you don't need to be you know, walking around feeling terrible because your belief system is going to limit what happens next. Okay. Um, so from the crisis point, we need to realign to the center again. What is it that's going to please God? You will not be pleased. You may not be necessarily be super pleased with what's going on at all. And again, you know, but you need to figure out what it is that is going to be the, the loving and responsible thing. You know, these are the moments where, you know, judgment for whatever reason doesn't help. You know what right and wrong is. You know what sin is. You found it. You looked it right in the face. So the second component here now becomes that we move into meaning making, meaning like what the heck happened? For the person who is the victim in the affair, I hate that word, but the person who received this event, the person who has been most painfully afflicted by it, that person they need to be able to understand what it is that has happened, right? So once they get to a level of confidence, they need to understand that, you know, from a vantage point of, well, what is their role in this experience? It's not blaming the victim, um, but both parties need to figure out, like, why did this happen? What role did I play? So that both people's minds know going forward that this could never happen again, if both parties want to move forward in the relationship. You know, if you want to move forward in the relationship, you need to know how come this happened. Because there needs to be a plan, you know, for you to become, you know, more like God and less like yourself and more like that person that you want to be and not like this. If the brain doesn't see a change, the brain is going to be constantly agitated. So if you're upset with your spouse because he or she hasn't gotten over the fact that you had this affair for whatever reason, you know, well, and they keep asking about it and bring it up. It may be that because you're not changing the way you're living. 
and because you're not changing the way you're living, the mind, their mind cannot relax. You have to be living differently. And you need to understand that the person that you are will not allow another experience like this to happen again. You've grown from this. And so, we again, we want you to be growing away from this towards the kind of person that you want to be. But you have to understand why it happened, why it happened. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to like the why. But uh, at the bottom of a lot of this stuff is that there are legitimate needs that people were not expressing in deception or avoidance or shame where people couldn't communicate these things. And they came out in weird ways. A lot of people actually have affairs not because of uh, you know you know one thing or another but but because it offers them a way to be something that they don't normally get to be uh, and, and that's why i said like there is a very clear understanding that they've been cut off from that man or woman that they wanted to be so get at like the you know get at the truth about like who you want to be what it is that caused this problem so that you you know that it would never happen again and the last component here is that you come up with a vision together that you both hold right you know, and, uh, you know, so that you figure out, like, what do you want to, to, to happen next? Where do we go from here? And it's very hard for people to know where they want to go without understanding, um, you know, that, that, that path of responsibility. And even if you're the person, again, if you're the person who, re- who was the recipient of the affair, you need to think, well, what was, the, what was the role that I played that put me in this situation or put me at risk of the situation? And maybe it was, I didn't believe that this was possible. And I do now. It's as simple as that because for the rest of your life, you're going to be different and you need to see your brain needs to see that you will, your brain needs to see that this isn't going to be possible to happen again. So you can relax and, and you both partners have to be operating differently. They both must change, uh, you know, and they can decide in what direction and where, where they want to move. But the visioning together, you know, you have to figure out what, what comes next. And again, uh, that that uh, takes time often because people have to rebuild their confidence by keeping promises and, again, um, removing this hyper-attachment to trying to please the other person. You have to move consistently with the person you want to become and make that choice, you know, little by little to be back to a self-sacrificial stage if you are going to have uh uh, I would say like a marriage that is a godly marriage, right? Because remember, if you get married in the Catholic church, it's, your marriage is not about you. It's about God. People don't get this. They think their marriage is about them. Your marriage isn't about you. It's about God. And even people who struggle tremendously in their marriages, people benefit tremendously from seeing this because they struggle and holiness abounds greatly. And their children see it, their community sees it, even if they don't know what they've struggled from. Um, they become very holy people, you know, amidst, uh, you know, amidst their, their difficulties. It's because they turn towards God, though, not towards themselves. Remember, we are limiting. We are limited beings. So, uh, you know, so hopefully this is a good start for those of you that are trying to uh, move to recover from this. You know, so share this with the people in your life, you know, again, and pray for the people you know that are suffering. Um, you know, from these these experiences, our, our world keeps making moves to tear us from from the people that we love most. So, uh, you know, spread some hope, smuggle it wherever you can, but especially into the families and the community that you live. Mm-hmm. 
I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Smuggling Hope. If you want to maximize the impact of the podcast you just listened to, try to find one thing that you thought was helpful and teach and share it with somebody in your life. When you teach and share what you've learned, it stays with you, and it helps to internalize what we've learned and get that seed to grow. I hope that the seeds of hope continue to grow in your life.